Good morning, everybody. It is a Friday. Yay, the end of the week is here and the weekend is upon us, but it's time for a We Tackle Life podcast, July 30th edition. And we got a lot of football to talk about, a lot of Ohio State football. And it's juicy Ohio State football. In fact, Quinn Ewers could be a Buckeye next week. And what is Ohio State's future conference-wise? So a lot of cool things to talk about. And Dwayne Washington's NBA draft night ends, well, he's on a team, but not via the draft. We'll get to all of that. But first, a reminder that Willis Spangler Starling is my attorney firm, and I believe it should be yours because I think if you want an attorney firm to be representing you, you want the best. They're the best. They're mine. They're awesome. Will's estate planning, personal injury, probate, employment law, you name it, they do it with distinction. And they're growing, and the reason they're growing is because they're successful, and the word of mouth from client to client is getting around. So Truman Boulevard in Hilliard is where you'll find Willis Spangler Starling's physical location. WillisAttorneys.com is their website. Check them out. You will not be disappointed. They will offer you a free consultation, and they do take some cases on contingency, and they're very good about telling you up front what the costs are and what the likelihood of your case being successful is, but they also would be more than willing to meet with you if you're the object of a legal action to represent you and protect your legal rights. So, Willis Spangler Starling, I cannot recommend them more highly than I do. They're my attorney. What more can I say? WillisAttorneys.com. WillisAttorneys.com. All right. I told you many times, and you knew already, that name, image, and likeness and immediate transfer eligibility would forever change college football. We're now on the first steps of that new era. And one of the unseen possibilities of that new era is that elite recruits like five-star quarterback, number one overall recruit in the country, Quinn Ewers of South Lake Carroll in Texas, committed to the Buckeyes for more than a year, might say, wow, uh, why would I play high school football in Texas, risk injury, not get paid, when I could go to Ohio State right now and make probably more than a half a million dollars, maybe a million dollars. You want to get in early, right? I think the name, image, and likeness stuff will sort itself out down the road to where the money won't be, uh, well, let's just put it this way. It might be more defined. It, it might be more lucrative later. One thing it will definitely be in a year, two, three, four, five, is more defined. There are no metrics in the market right now as to the value of having an athlete unite his brand individually and with his school with your brand as a business or as an influencer. So I think right now it's very possible that establishments are overpaying for uh, name, image, and likeness contracts with players than uh, they will in the future. They'll be smarter. They'll have more information. And that'll manifest itself in terms of players. There'll be a few now who are underpaid for their influence. But by and large, I think there will be more who are overpaid. So in the future, we'll know more what's the value of a kid who comes in is not going to play, but everybody's enamored with him because he's got a lot of Instagram followers. He's got a lot of TikTok followers. He's got a big five-star you know, label on him. So Quinn Ewers right now can strike while the iron's hot. He can parlay his blonde mullet and his big right arm into a lot of money as an Ohio State Buckeye, whether he's on the field or not. So the NIL thing is part of it. It's what is driving Quinn Ewers considering coming to Ohio State right now. But there are untold other complications to Quinn Ewers coming to Ohio State. So let's tackle a few of those. First of all, let's cut to the chase. 
do I think Ryan Day wants Quinn Ewers in his building on his roster for the 2021 season that kicks off in Minnesota uh, near the end of August? Do I think Ryan Day wants Quinn Ewers right now to be an Ohio State Buckeye? I've not talked to Ryan. I've not talked to anyone around Ryan. But my answer to that question would be no. He does not want that. Now, can Ryan Day tell Quinn Ewers that? <laughs> no, he cannot. He cannot say, Quinn, do not come. He can't play uh, Kamala Harris at the border. Do not come. He can't play Alejandro Mayorkas to the Cuban refugees. Do not come. He can't do that because if Quinn Ewers wants to come, you have to be thrilled he's coming. You have to tell him you're thrilled he's coming. Why would Ryan Day not want Quinn Ewers to come? Ryan Day right now has three freshman quarterbacks, three who've never thrown a pass in college. Why would he want four? <laughs> I mean, if he has four, are all four going to stay? No. The three he has aren't going to stay. Quinn Ewers coming is going to chase one, maybe two of them away. Kyle McCord, C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, Quinn Ewers. It is the epitome of abundance of riches. It is the epitome of nice problem to have. But a nice problem to have is still what? A problem. So, no, Ryan Day does not want Quinn Ewers right now because, let's play this out, Quinn Ewers comes in and he's expecting to play. And he doesn't play because these other guys have the jump on him. Okay, is Quinn Ewers okay with that? The previous timetable, assumed by most, was that C.J. Stroud will start in 2021. He will have a great year because how could he not? All the talent around him, that great coach that he has. He will then start in 2022 when Quinn Ewers comes in and redshirts or understudies him. And then C.J. Stroud will bid a fond adieu to Ohio State and Quinn Ewers will take over as a redshirt freshman starter, and Quinn Ewers will start in 2023 and 2024. Now, though, I don't think Quinn Ewers is looking at 2023 and 2024. He's certainly not looking any later than 2022. And that makes for a ticklish task of keeping all the quarterbacks happy. Because, as I mentioned in the open, we're also not just only in the name, image, and likeness era, we're in the immediate transfer eligibility era. So C.J. Stroud could have a phenomenal year this year, and Quinn Ewers could take over, and next spring Ryan Day could say, or Quinn Ewers could come in, and next spring Ryan Day could say, wow, you know, uh, can't really name a starter, because isn't this always what coaches say in the spring to delay things? Can't really name a starter. Both guys look good. Have to look at it in the fall. Well, that might not be what C.J. Stroud wants to hear. C.J. Stroud might say, I threw 40 touchdown passes last year, and you're telling me this kid is now even with me and you can't determine and commit to me as a starter? And C.J. Stroud could say, eh, I'm going to go play somewhere else. I'm going to walk in somewhere else and start. Or the other side of that equation is C.J. Stroud could throw 40 touchdown passes and Ryan Day could say, well, C.J. is going to be our starter. Or Quinn Ewers could just in his head go, you know, what are the likelihood they're going to take a guy out with 40 touchdown passes and make me the starter? That's not very likely. I'm going to go home to Texas and start. So I think it increases the possibility that he might not last or he would chase away a guy that you have that you like that's proven he can play. Do we have a 
metric, a measurable, an example of super stud star high school quarterback coming in and playing right away after three weeks in the August preseason camp as the starter at Ohio State. Yes, we do. We do have that. It might be in the Wayback Machine and long before your recollection, but way back in the day, Art Schleister was every bit the Quinn Ewers of his day. And Art Schleister came in, and Ohio State had an established starting quarterback in Rod Gerald, who was not going to be a quarterback in the NFL because he was an option quarterback. And one of the most famous moments in Ohio State football history is Woody Hayes standing on the sideline, season opener against Joe Paterno in Penn State, and Rod Gerald and Art Schleister are huddled around Woody Hayes as they come out of commercial on ABC, and Woody sends both Rod Gerald and Art Schleister onto the field to the roar of the crowd. Gerald at wide receiver, Art Schleister at quarterback. First play, Art completes a pass. The crowd goes crazy. And from that point on, it did not continue to be a feel-good story. As Art Schleister threw five interceptions in the opener, and the Buckeyes lost to Penn State 19 to nothing. And Art threw a ton of interceptions that year, the last of which was to Clemson linebacker Charlie Bauman. And it resulted in Woody Hayes punching Charlie Bauman, or as my friend Chris Spielman used to say, helping Charlie Bauman to his feet. And Woody lost his job. And the next year, Art Schleister led him to the Rose Bowl. Third year didn't go as well. And fourth year didn't go as well. And Art goes to the NFL. And we all know what happened to Art with compulsive gambling and all that. So um, I'm not saying Quinn Ewers will self-destruct like Art Schleister. I'm saying quarterbacks who come in and three weeks later are thrown into the uh, Big Ten wars are are possibly going to throw a lot of interceptions. They will learn from the interceptions that they throw, but could Ohio State afford a quarterback who throws a bunch of interceptions? Yeah, I think they could. Maybe not against Oregon, but they could against everybody else. Uh, So maybe it won't matter. Maybe Quinn Ewers won't win the job. Maybe Quinn Ewers will sit behind C.J. Stroud for two years and be happy. And maybe butterflies will fill your life and there'll never be any adversity. That's just not how the real world works because these guys are all elite athletes. And when you recruit alphas and Ryan Day recruits nothing but alphas, they want to get on the field. They have incredible self-belief. And so Quinn Ewers, here's what I know for sure. Quinn Ewers can make a lot of money coming to Ohio State right now. Quinn Ewers right now with laws the way they are in Texas can't make any money as a Texas high school quarterback. Quinn Ewers has no reason, based upon his success so far as a quarterback and the rave reviews he gets everywhere he goes, has no reason to fear C.J. Stroud. And C.J. Stroud has no reason to believe that Quinn Ewers can beat him out. And you can say all the things you want to say about teamwork and everybody sacrificing for each other and all that, but man's sinful nature and human nature can intrude on that. And you and I both know that if C.J. Stroud plays quarterback and Quinn Ewers is on the roster – and C.J. Stroud throws an interception against Oregon in the first quarter, there's going to be a lot of people wondering if Ryan Day is going to go to Quinn Ewers. And Ryan might not have any inclination to do that, but that will be out there in the public's mind. And if it's out there in the public's mind, believe me, it's in C.J. Stroud's mind, and that will not be good. So I think the best-case scenario here is uh, Quinn Ewers decides to stay at Texas. That will delay the issues Ryan Day has to face But there are unmistakably issues Ryan Day will have to face having an abundance of quarterbacks on the roster, which I believe I said was a nice problem to have 
which of course is nevertheless still a problem. The quarterbacks in the room right now have 18 collective snaps in college, three carries, two rushing touchdowns, zero pass attempts, zero. So with that, I would like to remind you that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters is the official coffee of the We Tackle Life podcast. Ryan Day, if he's up all night worrying about his quarterback issues, can mitigate his misery by treating himself to a cup of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee. And if he does that, he'll be a smart guy, which he already is a smart guy, but he'll be a smarter guy. And hopefully he'll be smart enough to use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps because that gets you 15% off. You, Ryan Day, and everybody else who orders from my friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters in lovely Mechanicsburg, Ohio. Mechanicsburg, shout out. They're ranked in the top 10 in the Cleveland.com poll for Division Six teams in the state of Ohio in high school football this fall. High school football is awesome. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Coffee is awesome. They buy it from growers around the world, direct Indonesia, Thailand, Nicaragua. Those growers then get paid more money directly from Paul at Hemisphere than they would from a big conglomerate buyer. And they use that money to further the lives of those in their local communities, bringing jobs and commerce and, in many cases, great ministry efforts. Their Nicaraguan buyer has planted 50 churches in Nicaragua, financed 50 pastors to go out. Don't think big mega churches, think little small house churches, but still it has allowed those 50 godly men to um, serve God in their local communities and villages and, of course, further the spread of the gospel in the world, which is what we should all be about. Okay, now we transition to the NBA draft. And the Cavaliers picked Evan Mobley from USC, and it's getting rave reviews. Good. I'm glad. He's a center. Dwayne Washington did not get picked. I am not the least bit surprised Dwayne Washington did not get picked. I'm not happy he didn't get picked, but I'm upset that he put himself in a position to not get picked. He should be returning to Ohio State for his senior year, in my opinion. Not his. Fine. He signed a two-year, two-way, he signed a two-year, two-way contract with the Indiana Pacers. So a two-way contract means if he's in the G League, he'll get paid one thing. If he's in the NBA, he'll get paid a lot more. Good luck to Dwayne. Um, I think he's made his path to the NBA. Uh, I don't I don't think he's made it any more difficult. It was always going to be difficult because he's a tweener. He's kind of a half-shooting guard, not big enough, uh, kind of a half-point guard, not skilled enough. Um, but he's a great kid. I really like Dwayne. And uh, I wish him well. I just wish that he had not forfeited what I think would have been an amazing senior year experience at Ohio State. One thing I noticed looking through the list of guys drafted in the NBA is that I have no clue about college basketball anymore. It is not uh, something that even remotely interests me beyond Ohio State. And it's because of the uh, very... um, I don't know what I have to say about it. It's kind of like, I mean, the one-and-done rule has ruined college basketball. It has. Guys are here for a cup of coffee, hopefully a hemisphere coffee, and gone. And I look at the names, and I'm like, I don't even know who that guy is. He plays for Kentucky. I don't even know who he is. Now, some of that could be, I'm not single anymore. (laughs) I'm a dad. I have kids playing sports. I have a couple jobs. I have a wife that I like to spend time with. So I don't have time to sit down and watch a college basketball game at night. But some of it is, I think, driven by the fact that, yeah, they're here today, gone tomorrow. And I wonder if college football will get that way now that we have name, image, and likeness and immediate transfer eligibility. I hope not. I hope I always care 
about college football and know the players, but I ceased to care about Major League Baseball when guys were roster jumping all the time. I've ceased to care about college basketball because guys are here a year, gone a year. I just basically tune in for the tournament. And maybe I'll get that way with college football, which if I do, I do. It's not like it's an important part of my life, but it's a good diversion. And um, we'll see how that develops. So uh, one thing about the NCAA, I mentioned, I neglected to mention this when we were on Ohio State football, the Tattoo Five. Let me see if I can name them. Terrell Pryor, Mike Adams, Boom Heron, Devere Posey, and Solomon Thomas, pretty sure I got them all, have gone to social media saying that their accomplishments as Buckeyes, including their Rose Bowl win over Oregon, their Sugar Bowl win over Arkansas, their Big Ten championship, should be reinstated because now in the name, image, and likeness era, everything they did is legal. Well, everything they did is not legal, still, according to NCAA rules. And I honestly, I don't understand the difference, but the NCAA issued a statement this week saying they will not reinstate Ohio State's record. So uh, TP still remains um, on the outside looking in of the Ohio State record book. Uh, Terry Francona is going to be on the outside looking in at the Indians' baseball season the rest of the year. Tito is taking a leave of absence for the rest of the year to tend to two separate surgeries. One has to be done before the other one can happen, and so they've turned the club over to a guy I've never heard of because, as I said just a minute ago, I don't pay attention to Major League Baseball much anymore. And I wonder if Tito's at the end of the line with the Tribe. Maybe he'll want to come back and serve one more year. Maybe he's like, okay, been there, done that, had a good run. We're not close to winning. Uh, This could be the beginning of the end for Tito in Cleveland. They've been very good to him. He's been very good to them. Feels like maybe time he move on. Feels like maybe time they move on. I wish him well with his health, but, uh, you know, it's not good to have a manager that's always taken leave of absences from the team, which I know there was a pandemic last year, but he's, he's struggled for a while. And maybe, you know, this is uh, something he should pay attention to in terms of really prioritizing his health. He's got a ton of money, I'm sure. He is, uh, Certainly someone whose Hall of Fame credentials are robust, uh, getting the Boston Red Sox uh, over the curse of the Bambino. If Tito Francona had been able to get the Indians across the finish line to the 2016 World Series championship, I think it was 2016, um, 2015 maybe, he would unquestionably be a Hall of Famer. I think he's got a strong case anyway. I think well-liked. He'll probably get in the Hall of Fame. Um, But he would have led the Indians to the World Championship and the Red Sox to the World Championship. Like, first ballot. First time eligible. So we'll wait and see. I I think Terry Francona will get in the Hall of Fame. And I I think he should. Now, speaking of the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, I used to want to be a baseball writer more than anything. Back when I was young and stupid, <laughs> I thought, wow, this would be the greatest thing ever. You travel all over the country, you cover baseball, baseball, baseball. Ugh. Then I watched baseball writers, and they all seemed <laughs> miserable, grouchy. And it was just like, ah, I was around Major League Baseball players a lot in some early jobs that I had. And I'm like, no, nope, no, nope, don't want to do that. Well, so I was aspiring to be a baseball writer because I thought, would it be cool to be a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America and vote in the Hall of Fame? And I was a baseball writer 
association member for a while, but not for the 10 years it's required to become a member of the Hall of Fame. And the Baseball Writers Association of America membership has decided unanimously that they will not allow Kurt Schilling to remove his name from their Hall of Fame ballot in the last of his 10 years of eligibility before he goes on to the Veterans Committee ballot. I think this is a bad, a, a bad decision. I think it's a vindictive decision. I think it's a politically driven decision. Uh, C. Trent Rosecrans is a guy I know and a guy I like, and C. Trent and I, uh, we're in each other's cell phones, but you know we don't commiserate uh, very often. He's in Cincinnati. I think he's now with The Athletic. He used to be at The Post or The Enquirer, I guess. Um, and C. Trent's the president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. I like Trent. I just think his organization's membership made a, as I said, a vindictive, politically motivated decision. Most of the guys in the baseball writer writers are liberals. Kurt Schilling is decidedly not a liberal. And if Kurt Schilling doesn't want to be on the ballot because he doesn't want to give the Baseball Writers Association membership the right to unjustifiably, in my mind, keep him out of the Hall of Fame because of his politics, then that's his right. Um, you You have a right not to belong to a certain country club. If Kurt Schilling says, you know, I don't want writers who don't like me anyway because I'm a Trump supporter and because I stand for things they don't stand for, if I don't want them to vote on me and, you know, basically I'm I'm not going to give them license to crap on me. <laughs> and I think it's petty of the baseball writers to say, no, we're going to vote on you anyway. We're going to vote you down, which they'll definitely vote him down now because he didn't want to be a part of their organization. Um, he wanted to leave his future hall possibilities to the Veterans Committee. And you you got to be out of your mind not to be voting Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame. If you're not going to vote Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in because of their steroid use, and I'm fine with that. I'm That's a principled stand. I can get behind that. I'm fine with that. I'm not campaigning for Bonds or Clemens. I'm saying Schilling never cheated, and you may not like his politics, but... The dude was a stud, like a flat-out stud. And his bloody sock game, whether you think that's contrived or not, there's no doubt what that meant to the Red Sox and their drive to the championship. And coming back from 3-0 against the Yankees in the ALCS, I mean, come on. Kurt Schilling's won world championships with the Red Sox and the Diamondbacks? He's a definite Hall of Famer. He ought to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And the only reason he's not is because he's Kurt Schilling and the guys who vote on him don't like him which is petty. And so I just think that's a bad decision by the baseball writers and, uh, and, and petty. Okay. Um, AUIinfo.com, my final sponsor read before we get into the faith portion of the podcast. Well, a little bit on the Olympics after this, then the faith portion of the podcast. AUIinfo.com, if you have a small business and you might not think of yourself as a small business, if it's you and one other person or you're a plumber and you own one truck and you're out there busting it, you are a small business and you have the ability to link with other small businesses in consortiums and chamber of commerce plans and stuff like that and have a buying power when it comes to benefits that you didn't think you had. And this is what AUIinfo.com does. They partner with small businesses and they don't charge you. They're paid by the companies that you as the business owner select. And I just can't tell you enough about AUI because, man, they're amazing. And for the fact that you get it free, but they aren't working for free, like take advantage of it. You're out nothing to go to their site 
chat with them on their chat feature and see if there's something they can do to help you. Small businesses, two people up to 50 people. They have 17 employees. They're amazing. This is such a great resource and they're such great people and they stay in touch with you and help you through all the challenges that come with, you know, whether it's pandemic related, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine executive order edict related or anything else. They're just a great resource for every business. So you're really missing out if you don't take advantage of the help that AUINFO.com can give you. So check them out, AUINFO.com. All right, yesterday at the Olympics, Suni Lee wins the all-around gold in gymnastics. We're not going to break down the gymnastics, but I'm very happy for her. And now today, I'm seeing headlines. First of all, she is uh, an immigrant to the U.S., or she's not an... She might have been born in the U.S. She probably was. Her parents came from Laos, okay, L-A-O-S. Pretty cool. Her dad built her a homemade balance beam because he couldn't afford to send her to a gym for gymnastics training. This is a great story. This is a story that underscores the uniqueness of America and what's possible in America for people who work hard, have a dream, and are supported in the dream by the people that they love and get great coaching and training. So I look forward to hearing more about SUNY Lee. Yesterday or today overnight or whatever, you never can tell what the goofy time difference between here and Tokyo, Simone Biles has given more insight into her decision to walk out on her team and look out for herself uh, in the team competition at the gymnastics. Now she is saying that she has this mental condition uh, that gymnasts get called the twisties. Okay, it's basically a. It's I liken it to a baseball player who can't throw the ball to first base, or a pitcher like Rick Ann Keel couldn't throw strikes for a while. Steve Blass way back in the day couldn't throw strikes for the Pirates after being a World Series hero in 1971. Steve Sachs couldn't throw the ball to first base. Chuck Knobloch couldn't throw the ball to first base. Guys get this mental block and it affects their ability to perform like they've done just routine stuff before. Simone Biles, apparently in gymnastics, there's this thing called the twisties where you get up in the air and you lose your confidence, your equilibrium, I don't know, but you just don't feel safe and you don't know where you are and you're hurtling around at high speed and high up in the air, and of course bad things can happen. Okay, I'll take her at her word that she has the twisties. I'll take her at her word. I will note that it is interesting that it took... 48 hours for her to come forward with a condition that had she come forward with it immediately would have spared a lot of the criticism that she received justifiably in that moment for walking out on her team. I'm going to assume this twisties thing is a real thing. Gymnasts say it is so. Okay. But this is what happens when you don't tell the truth, when you aren't, Full disclosure, you're a star athlete who commands a lot of attention. You don't get to say, I want the good parts of stardom. I don't want the bad parts. I'm not going to tell you what uh, is really going on with me because I don't think you deserve to know it. As a public figure, you have a responsibility to tell the truth because your fans, you're, you owe that to your fans and because you owe it to yourself. What do I mean you owe it to yourself? Simone Biles, as I said, could have spared herself a lot of criticism for quitting if she'd just gone out. Imagine if her post 
competition press conference was. I did something tonight. I withdrew from the competition that has, um, I know, surprised a lot of you. I want to explain why I did it. I, I would have loved nothing more than to get out there and perform well for my country and for my teammates. Mentally, I wasn't able to do that. And the reason I wasn't able to do it is because in gymnastics, there's this thing that you battle sometimes. It comes out of nowhere. Nobody can explain it. I lost my confidence. I didn't want to hurt myself. <clears throat> I feel horrible that I was unable to help my teammates. I feel horrible I let my country down and I let the little girls down who worship me. Um, that's all. I can't. But that would have been a much different message than I'm going to look out for me. Sometimes it's okay to withdraw from a competition to look out for your mental health. It is sometimes okay to withdraw from a competition to look after your mental health if you tell people about your mental health issue. But this is not the first time that an athlete has decided to, unwisely decided to, withhold telling the truth to, I'm sure they thought, protect something, and it's ended up costing them a lot. If Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds had come out right away and confessed to using steroids like Andy Pettit, I think they'd have a much higher chance of being in the Hall of Fame. Rafael Palmero, same thing. People are not never going to forgive Rafael Palmero because he wagged his finger at everybody and was condescending to them in the congressional hearings. They're never going to forgive Sammy Sosa for feigning like he didn't speak English when he'd spoken it for years. Those guys did it to themselves. Pete Rose did it to himself. Writing a book that he never gambled on baseball and then writing a book, oh yeah, I did. Urban Meyer did it to himself in Chicago a couple of years ago by, you know, technically in the kindest interpretation of what he said, you could maybe not accuse him of openly lying to everyone, but was he trying to misdirect on a technicality? I think that's a fair assessment. And now Simone Biles. So you'll say, Bruce, do you regret what you said the other day about her quitting? No, I don't. No, I don't. Because I went with the best information I had at the time. I'm still not sure that she's actually telling the truth about the twisties because there's nothing nefarious about having this condition called the twisties. Tell the truth up front. Tell the truth always. What does the Bible say? If you follow my teaching, then you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth won't set you free if it's a secular truth, but it sure has a lot better chance of setting you free than lies do, than being close to the vest, than being obtuse, than obscuring the truth from people. So Simone Biles made the bed in which she is sleeping right now, and I don't feel sorry for her. I don't regret what I said, and um, that's where we are. Tell the truth always. Tell the truth always. All right, now, with that, seems a good time to transition into the faith portion of the podcast. 
<clears throat> I was listening to a friend of mine speak on Sunday. Um, and he, in one point in his message, said that he heard a pastor asked once, what is the greatest spiritual truth you've come to recognize in your career as a minister? And he said the response from that minister was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I was pondering that this morning as I was reading in Mark 5, after the story of Jesus healing the demon-possessed man named Legion, Jesus is um, not confronted, but Jesus. a guy comes up to Jesus. His name is Jairus. And Jairus says, my daughter's really sick. Would you please come and heal her? And Jesus agrees. And as he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, He's in a crowd of people pressing in on him from each side. And a woman, the Bible says a woman who has been suffering with bleeding for 12 years, or maybe it's not 12 years, but it's many years. She has gone to many doctors. She has spent everything she has, tried to get healing, and her problem, the Bible says, has only gotten worse. So Jesus is working his way through this crowd, people pushing on him, pressing on him, he's being mobbed. This woman, the Bible says, realizes, if I can only touch him, I'll be healed. And she's able to. She reaches out. She touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus stops in the middle of all this crowd of people, and he says, who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples are like, who touched you? Like, there's people all over the place. What are you talking about? And he says, no, no. Somebody touched me differently because I felt the power go out of me. And so they look around, and there's this woman, and she confesses, yes, I'm the one. And she explains her situation to Jesus, and Jesus says to her, your faith has healed you. So touching him isn't what healed him, healed her. Her belief that she would be healed is what healed her. Her belief, her faith or trust. When you go back to that truth that that pastor talked about, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is rock solid for those of us who have given our life to Christ and accepted his sacrifice at the cross. Let's tear that three-statement truth apart. Jesus loves me. What comes with that? Jesus loves me. As someone who absolutely knows that, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to me as a believer? Jesus loves me. Well, he loves me. He showed me that. He went to the cross. By going to the cross, he provided a path for me to be forgiven for my sin, which thus provides, once I'm forgiven, a way for me to be cleansed and uh, acceptable in the sight of God so I know I'm going to have eternal life. And... That frees me, gives me incredible peace that I don't have to worry anymore about what is my future? Am I good enough? Am I acceptable? Because the answer to that always was, no, I'm not. So I live with incredible peace. So those are the things that come to me when I think about Jesus loves me. The second part of that comment, this I know. Yeah, I know it 
with certainty. I know it as I'm as certain of that as I am anything in my life. I know that he loves me. Well, how do I know? That brings us to the third part of the sentence. Because the Bible tells me so. Now, the Bible can contain incredible truth, insight, wisdom, comfort, direction, conviction. But if you never open its pages, if you never sink the dry sponge of your heart into its amazing depth and soak that truth in, then how will you know that Jesus loves you? Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And as you immerse the dry sponge of your heart and soul into the deep, rich waters of the Bible's truth. You will allow yourself to have this incredible, intimate communication with God. He will reveal more of himself to you, more of how he thinks, what he wants from you what he's asking you to do with the gifts and talents that you have. He will reveal more about how he has blessed you with people who love you, gifts, talents, and abilities. He will reveal more of where he wants you to apply those gifts, talents, and abilities, how he wants you to employ them. He will infuse you with a different attitude toward what gives you enjoyment and joy in life instead of your own accomplishments, your own merits, the praise of other men and women, he will infuse you with a joy in serving others, in viewing others growing closer to God. He will change your entire world. He will. It's happened to me. It can happen to you. There is no one who is not equipped to experience all the miracle of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The faith of the bleeding woman to understand that all of that was available to her She manifested it by reaching out. She demonstrated it by reaching out. But really, had she not been able to touch Jesus' garment, I'm not sure it would have made any difference. Because touching him is not what healed her. He said, your faith has made you well. Faith is belief. Faith is trust. And Ironically, the same man who preached this message Sunday that related the story about the pastor who said, Jesus loves me, this I know, is also the same man who enlightened me about faith one time being often equated with doubt 
as its opposite number. But he said, and he is right, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith in God is not doubt. It's not, I doubt whether God exists. The opposite of faith in God is self-sufficiency. Faith in God is trusting God. That woman trusted God to heal her, and she was healed. Self-sufficiency is doing it your own way. And a lot of times, we only develop faith when all the other earthly options fail, right? She wasn't wrong to go to doctors. She wasn't wrong to spend her money seeking healing from the medical community. God made doctors. God made medical science. God made avenues for men, women, doctors to minister to people and be blessed by healing them. That's also a way God could have answered her desire to be healed. But in her instance, God desired for her to continue to pursue healing And the avenue that was left to her after she had sought doctors and spent all her money was to demonstrate continual faith that God was going to heal her. And the last demonstration required of her faith was to press through the crowd, reach out, and touch Jesus. And then he said, your faith has made you well. So that is what I have for you, that truth that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Are you going to reach out and open its pages? Are you going to pursue who God is in its pages with the diligence that this woman pursued healing? Or are you going to go to one book, one verse, one chapter, read it? No, nothing here for me. Shut the pages, never open it again. The Bible's preservation over centuries is miraculous and is not coincidental. It is there to enable us to see, hear, and understand what God has in store for us. and In its pages, you will find a verse. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for those who love him. I want you to know that richness. I want you to experience that richness. It will fill every gap, plug every hole, in your life. It will. It will. And if you uh, cease to do that, you'll continue to flail away, struggle, experience peace from time to time, but not lasting peace, not everlasting peace, not assurance. And that's a lousy way to live. Take it from a guy who lived that way for a long time. Unnecessarily so. But not anymore. Not anymore. And that's my deepest hope for you is that you'll know the peace joy and purpose that comes yielding your life what Jesus has already done for you at the cross and made available to you freely man go get it go get it and tell me what it's like in your life after you do God bless you guys leave me a review on iTunes subscribe to the podcast send me an email we tackle life at gmail.com we tackle life at gmail.com